North Central University, what is up? Come on. So good to be with you guys today. My name is Micah, and uh, before I get started, I want to give honor, and President Hagen, I honor you, Dr. Graham and the staff, Professor Tibbetts, Dr. Denton, so many of you, Dr. Tennyson, and also so many staff people that aren't here today that played a role in shaping me here at North Central University. I honor them. I honor the leadership here, and I thank God for you, and thank you so much for the opportunity to have a full circle moment in my ministry and in choosing to follow Jesus and coming to preach at the very place that God spoke to me. So I honor you, and I say thank you for that. Um, my name is Mike, as you know, and uh, I say this wherever I go. It's always one of the most opening things I do, but if you are a brother in the house and you are single, but you're a brother in the house, you're a dude. I just got to say this, when you live for Jesus and you give your life to Jesus, he always hooks a brother up. Always. He always hooks a brother up. He upgrades you, okay? And some of you are like, dude, you got to prove it because I don't believe you. All right, I'll prove it to you. Put up the first picture. That's proof right there, y'all. That is proof. I mean, how in the world did I get her? Guys, our story actually started here. I remember walking into the registrar's office right over there, and the very first person I see in the registrar's office is this beautiful girl wearing a pink blouse, black pants. Yes, I remember the outfit, okay, some years ago, very detailed, and I was like, dear Jesus, please let her line open up so I can register with her. Well, her line didn't open up. Instead, I registered with some random scraggly bearded guy, okay? That's who I registered with, right? And that's okay. But I left the office saying, you know what? The fact that I didn't register with her, the fact that she works at the university tells me that she graduated from here, the university hired her, and there's no way a girl this beautiful lasted four years of university and did not get swiped up. So I'm like, God, I'm just going to forget about her, pretend I didn't see her, and everything's going to be fine. But then, y'all, I found out that very semester, I had two classes with her, y'all. It was game over after that, okay? And I'm going to help some dudes in the place because some of y'all are really awkward in your pursuit of a lady, okay? So let me help you. All the ladies clap if you agree, okay? Sure. So here's what I did. I don't, your teachers will hate this. Your professors will hate this. I purposely showed up late every day to class hoping, just hope, hold on, just hoping that there would be a seat open right next to her. So it wasn't awkward. Easy way to break the ice. You're sitting right next to her, right? That makes sense. So every day I showed up, the closest I got to her, the closest I could get to her is, let's say this is me sitting right here. There was some dude sitting right here and she was right here. Okay. So there was somebody in, in between us, excuse me, sorry. There was somebody in between us and that day, systematic theology class, we get our papers back, our tests back. And I look over and I realize she got a 92%. And I looked at my test and I was like, I got a 92%. <laughs> I was like, thank you, Jesus. You just opened the heavens and made a way for a brother to break the ice. Thank you. And so I go, excuse me, sir. Uh, excuse me, but I think you cheated off my test. And if you know anything... If if you, know, if you know anything about Steph, if you know anything about Steph, she's very introverted, very shy. She turns bright red and she's like, um, no, 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 I, I didn't, I, trust me, I didn't cheat. I don't even know who you are, okay? <laughs> 
And so I ripped the test out of her hands. I literally, I ripped the test out of her hands, and I hold up both tests so she can see that we both got 92%. And she's like, oh, my word, did I cheat? Oh, my word, like, did I cheat? Like, same score, what's happening? And so I give the test back, and I stand up at the end of class, and I go, hey, my name's Micah. And she looks me right in the eye. She gives me a firm handshake. And she's like, my name's Steph. And right when I felt the firm handshake, I was like, oh, my God. Because sometimes, no offense, ladies, but sometimes when you meet girls, you're like, hey, you know, I'm Micah. They're like, hi, nice to meet you. I just sewed my hand back on from a fishing trip. Nice to meet you. Ladies, when you shake somebody's hand, give them a firm handshake. Put the fear of God in the dude, all right? Look them in the eye. So it drew me to her. So I did what all y'all do when you don't know somebody but you're interested in them. You scope out their social media, right? You find out if they're the real deal. You look for all the dirt, right? So I looked through all the dirt. Everything's cool. And uh, I was like, okay, I got to find a way to hang out with this girl. What do I like to do? And I was like, I love to work out, love to, to work out and those kinds of things. Maybe I'll ask her to work out with me. So I say, hey, uh, would you be open to someday going to the North Central workout room and getting in a workout with me? And she's like, um, sure, yeah, why not? So she goes to the worker home, she meets me, and she goes, hey, so what are we doing today? And I said, hey, today we're doing legs. And she's like, oh, okay, cool, no problem. Like, that's fine. Like, I was a volleyball athlete, and I can do that. And so the very first workout I take her through is lunges, okay? Barbell lunges, the one you put on a bar, you go down, I'm modeling for your good form, okay? Clap if you like the form, okay? That's, that's awkward. So I put about 65 pounds of weight for this girl, and I just kind of was like, maybe this will be a good starting weight. And literally after doing two lunges, both of her hamstrings blew, blew out, both of them. And I was thinking she was doing proper form, right? I was like, keep going, you're doing a good job. So she kept finishing the set through blown hamstrings and didn't tell me because she wanted to impress me, okay? So true story, the very next day, the very next day, she's walking down the stairs for class and her hamstrings give out, and she falls down the entire flight of stairs here at North Central. And all these people, all these people saw her fall down the stairs. You guys, brothers, if you're a brother in the house, all you got to do, ask a girl to work out with you, blow her hamstrings, ask her to marry you, and she will say yes, okay? That's all you got to do. That's our North Central journey. We've been married for six years. We have two beautiful kids. You can put up the next picture. There's our family. Her name's Everly Don. That's our boy, Malachi David. And y'all, this is the craziest week of ministry, one of them. It's crazy for me because when I was a student here, it was always a dream to be able to preach here. And today I get to stand here and get the privilege of preaching to you. But not only that, another dream was to preach at Minnesota Youth Convention. And in two days, in two days, I get the opportunity to preach at Minnesota Youth Convention. But I say this to say this. Like, when you look at it from the outside, you might be like, oh, that's cool. Look at that opportunity or look at that. But what you don't see is the spiritual battle. What you don't see is the things that happen that go on at home. And right now, I'm not kidding you, I have three family members. All my wife and my two kids are sick. Both of them are sick. My son's coughing. My son could barely breathe last night. And I'm just looking at what God's doing within our family. And God is preparing the way, but it's not without a fight. Because there's souls on the line. There's people on the line. And today's message... I have never preached this message anywhere ever before. Two months ago when I was just doing some devos, God spoke to me and said, this is the word you're supposed to bring to North Central. I've never preached this message. This is fresh, and I believe God's going to impact your life if you can choose to have an open heart. One of the concerns to me today that I see and what I watch with young leaders is the opportunity to want to be somebody or to do something great 
or to emphasize the doing or to start something. There's a beautiful entrepreneurial spirit within the coming generation. It's a beautiful thing. God is hardwiring the next generation, including you, to have those kinds of hearts. But the danger with it is being noticed and being unleashed in a time where you're not supposed to be noticed or supposed to be unleashed. And there's a danger I'm seeing. And the minute we meet somebody, what do we say? The first question out of our mouth is, hey, what do you do? Where do you work? And it's to find common ground. But the emphasis is on the what and the emphasis is on the where. There's another popular book that's came out. I've read it. I've applied it to ministry practices. A great book by Simon Sinek called Start With Why. A great question. Companies derail. Companies lose who they are, who they're, why, what their why is. They lose the why. Therefore, they deviate. They misguide. All those kinds of things. And I could stand here today and give a message about you need to find your why and start with your why. However, if all we do is start with our why, we're still in a very dangerous place. And the reason why is this. In our culture, in our society, there's an emphasis on the what. There's an emphasis on the why. Even the how, the where, the when. And to be somebody. But time and time, when I look at Scripture and I see the Word of God, the emphasis is never the why. The emphasis is never the what or the how. The emphasis is always the who. It's always the who. It will always be about the who. It will never stop being about the who. Apart from the who, the why doesn't matter. Apart from the who, the what and the when, the where and the how doesn't matter. But yet we can invest so much time of mental capacity, of our brain energy with other people, completely missing out on the who. And what I feel called this morning to do is to call this generation to be all in with the who. To be all in with the who. That what wakes you up in the morning is the who. That what gets you going throughout your day is the who. That what keeps you going when it's hard is the who. Apart from the who, Jesus said, we can do nothing. And in this room are those who, yes, God will use and God will promote and take different places. Yes, in this room will be those who are really good at the routine or sometimes the mundane. But what God really wants to do is to meet with you, mold you, shape you, and to do life together and your life being built on the who. The passage that God put on my heart this morning to preach for is John chapter 1. And I wanted to preach to you this morning on John the Baptist. Here's what we know about John the Baptist picking up in John chapter 1. The gospel of John, when you look at the John, obviously different than the three synoptics of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's emphasis was evangelistic. His message was evangelistic and apologetic. John's whole concept was to see people believe in the Messiah and understand his deity, that he is fully God and he is fully man. Do you realize the Gospel of John? Over 100 times the word believe is in there. All the other synoptics are about less than half of that. The goal and its purpose of his message is to portray Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to know the saving life, the eternal life that's in him. And John starts out in his Gospel describing the theology right away in 1 through 14, and then he steps into the very first New Testament preacher we've ever seen. These people have not heard from God in over 400 years. They haven't heard from a prophet. They haven't heard from God himself. For 400 years, there's been a silence. And now showing up on the scene is the first ever New Testament preacher. His name, John the Baptist. Probably taking place in 26 or 27 AD. John right now is right around 30 years old. John was born six months before Jesus. Remember, John was baptized in the Holy Spirit in the womb. When Jesus showed up in the room in Mary's womb, John the Baptist was baptized in the Holy Spirit. For 30 years, he's a nomad. He's wandering in the desert. We don't really hear from him. We know he comes from a priestly line. But there are three things that John the Baptist has 
that he makes about the who that I want to relay with you today that I believe can impact your life. We have to make it about the who. And when you make it about the who, this is your first point. When you make it about the who and when you know the who, it will keep you in your lane. It will keep you in your lane. John the Baptist, when he starts his ministry, you got to picture this. He's in the wilderness preaching. No one goes to the wilderness for anything. Word gets out there. There's this dude talking about the Messiah and the Messiah's coming. When the M word gets dropped, when the Messiah word gets dropped, it's exciting. Because people have been waiting for the Messiah. So the word gets out. People start coming and running out there. The Sanhedrin finds out about it. They're like, yo, everything flows through us and our leadership. Let's send some priests and Levites out to find out what's going on. So picking up in John 1, verse 19, it says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. This is powerful. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. John the Baptist stayed in his lane. John the Baptist did not step outside of who he was and who God called him to be. John the Baptist knew God in his fullness. He knew him through revelation. John the Baptist was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And here you have priests and Levites coming to him and they say, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. And what do you say about yourself? John the Baptist was compared to Elijah. John the Baptist was compared to the Messiah. John the Baptist was compared to a coming prophet. And John the Baptist, can you imagine how flattering those questions are? For 30 years, going from a nomad, no one coming to you, now all of a sudden, all of humanity's coming out to you to be baptized and repent to get ready for the Messiah. And they ask John the Baptist, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? And John emphatically, in the Greek, it does a poor job translating this into English. But in the Greek, John the Baptist is outraged at their questions and it's an emphatic, no! And for so many of us, we're constantly valuing other people's lanes, other people's anointings, other people's platforms, when we're not choosing to stay in the lane that God has for us. You've been put on this earth for such a time as this. God knew the time that you would grow up in. He knew the president that would be ruling over this country. He knew the house you would grow up in. God has appointed you for this very time, for such a time as this. And what God wants to do is instead of you valuing everybody else's lane, God wants you just to stay in your lane so you can look at others and say an emphatic, no, that is not who I am. I am who God has called me to be. This is what God's called me to do. Do you know what God is doing inside of you? Do you know his voice? Has he spoken to you? Has he led you? What lane are you in? Are you in the lane that God's called you to be in? Some of you have such a hunger and a passion to do something great, but don't ever let it outweigh the hunger and passion for the who. Don't ever let it outweigh the passion for the who in your relationship with Jesus. I remember I was super passionate. I wanted to go on the mission field. I was a young boy, about 19 years old, 20 years old. Yeah, that's young boy. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm a young man, and I felt like I'm supposed to sell all my belongings and go on the mission field. Join a young missionary couple. I quit my job. My mom looked at me. She said, you better not quit your job. I went downstairs, threw my fists in my bed. I was so upset. I was like, God, you gave me a devil for the mom. For a mom. God, why is my mom the devil? I'm supposed to do this. She's telling me no. And then I randomly opened up my Bible to 1 Peter, and it talks about honoring your elders in your life. And it was as if God was like, son, please. 
and I don't quit my job. A week later, I get a phone call from the lead pastor of Cedar Valley Church. It's Jerry Stranquist. He says, Mike, I want you to come into my office. He didn't know I was planning on going to the mission field. I had a zeal to be in the lane of a missionary. And he looks at me. He goes, Micah, we want to pay for all of your school. We believe in you. We see a call of God in your life, and we want to send you to any university in the country. You name the university, and we'll pay for everything. I didn't know what to say. I was confused. I was put on the spot, and I was like, uh, North Central. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. It just came out. But this, good decision, that's right. Sometimes when you have a deep passion and zeal for God, sometimes we step into lanes that God doesn't have for us, but God will put other people in our life to help steer us in the course that we're supposed to go. If you can choose to humble yourself and submit to the authorities in your life, God can take you places. God can do things inside of you. One of the things that concerns me in the coming generation is the lack for honoring of authority. It grieves the heart of God when we can't honor authority. It grieves the spirit every time we slander authority and backlash out at authority. It grieves God's heart. There is a blessing and a flow of blessing that gets stopped the minute we speak death about authority and stop honoring authority. And if you have authority issues, then let God, who is your ultimate authority, heal your heart so you can get to a place of honoring those in leadership and authority. God has opened up doors I'd never be able to open, not because of me, but because of authorities above me. People in leadership Knowing your who will keep you in your lane. Number two, knowing your who will keep you humble. It will keep you humble. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. He's quoting Isaiah 40. John the Baptist is saying, look, all I am is a voice. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a Messiah. All I am is a voice. All I am is a tool. It's at God's expense, not mine. I just do what God tells me to do. And then this is powerful. It says, now the Pharisees who had been sent to question him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And listen to this. He says, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. Come on, he knows who Jesus is. He knows the who. He is the one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John in one moment speaks to these religious leaders that everybody knew who's trying to confront him and get a response out of him to find out who this guy is. And he equates himself to that of a slave, one of the lowest positions of all society, to say, look, you don't even know. You think I'm the Messiah? You think I'm Elijah? You got it all wrong. Because there is one who is coming. There is one who's going to show up on the scene. I've been preaching about him. I've been telling people to repent. And by the way, you brood of vipers, you should repent too. But by the way, this person that I'm talking about, I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. That right there is the character of humility. And what humility is in John chapter 3 is when John the Baptist says, I must become less and less and he must become greater and greater. In our society that always looks to promote greatness or become greater and greater, we are to take on the very nature of becoming less and less and less. The very birth of Jesus, when Jesus entered into this world, was marked with humility. 
It was marked with prophecy and humility. Do you realize that the shepherds who showed up were some of the lowest outcasted people of society? Typically when royalty is born, like we see with Prince William or those kinds of people when they have babies, who shows up? Celebrities, the elite, the rich, the proud, the people that everybody know. Who shows up at the birth of Jesus? But some of the lowest people in society, shepherds. It was marked with humility, put in a manger, wrapped with cloth that was used for slaughtering lambs, Passover lambs. Jesus, the Messiah of the world, came in with humility and left with humility. He was marked and born to die. The gospel drips with death, death to self, death to us, death to our desires and our wants. And here is John the Baptist for 30 years, gets no recognition. Now everybody wants to meet him. Now everybody wants to talk to him. People are amused by his preaching. And here he is saying, I must become less and less and you must become greater and greater. Some of you don't know this name, but I get the privilege of sharing his name. His name's Calvin Olson. He was a North Central student here. He left the military and said, God, if you get me off this bombing ship, I will serve you and do whatever you want me to do. God called him to North Central after the Navy. From North Central, he planted a church in Stillwater, ended up going to be a missionary in Bangladesh. One of my buddies, before he got up to preach, Calvin, when he's old age, that is a grandpa, he looks at the young man sitting there and says, hey, I know you're about to go up and preach, but you choose. Calvin Olson says this, you choose. And he goes, what do you mean I choose? He said, you choose to be humble. You either choose to be humble before you go up and preach, or you choose to be humbled after you preach. You choose. That has rung so true within my heart, within my mind. Going into the business world, starting your first job, becoming a minister, whatever it might be, you can choose to pursue that with humility or choose to think that you can do everything and you're untouchable. And what God desires for us and for, all, for you and I is to walk in humility, to do it with humility. You see, when you know Jesus, he'll help you stay in your lane. And when you know Jesus, he'll help you remain humble. And your last point is this, is knowing your who keeps you saying, look at God. Knowing your who keeps you saying, look at God. John the Baptist just talked about how he's unworthy to tie, even untie the sandals of Jesus. And then in verse 29, it says the next day, John finally sees Jesus coming toward him and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, look at God, there he is. I've been out here preaching, waiting for this very moment. I came when God told me to go. I've been out here preaching in the wilderness all along that the Messiah is coming, repent and be baptized. Look, there he is. Super quick to point out Jesus. And then in verse 35, it says, then the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Do you understand something? John didn't come for his own disciples. John the Baptist didn't come for his own notoriety. John the Baptist didn't come for any of those things. He just came to declare, look at God. He didn't care that his disciples left him. In fact, John the Baptist was like, what are you doing? Why are you with me? Go follow him. There he is. Why are you still here? Get out and go. 100 years from now, it will not matter what we've done or 
where we've been or the platforms we've built, the only thing will matter, that will matter, will be did you and I know Jesus? And more than that, did Jesus ever know you? Did he ever know you? Yeah, but God, I casted out demons in your name. Yeah, but God, I preached. Yeah, but God, in the marketplace, I led these people to Christ. I never knew you. You never made your life about the who. You were always making it about the what, the why, the when, the where. You never took time to make it about me. The who. The why, the where, the what, and the when becomes a whole lot more clear the closer you get to the who. You have a desire to be in the marketplace. God's given you a prophetic word. You have a desire to be in the ministry. The best advice I can give to any student here is get really close to the who. Pursue Jesus with all your heart. Keep running to Jesus. Don't stop running to him. Keep looking into his eyes. Keep saying, look at God. Look at who God is. Look at how great he is. Look at how powerful he is. Look at how wonderful he is. Look at how merciful he is. Look at what God did back then. God's going to do it again. Look at how he's shaping things inside of me. Look at how he's altered my destiny. Living a life of saying, look at God. It is by the grace of God that I stand here today. A man born into sin with a past, a messed up past. A dad who left my family at a young age for another woman. He was in the ministry at one point. The person who introduced me to Jesus sits me down in my living room, says I'm going to leave your mom after 17 years of marriage. Leaves me and my three younger sisters there. I'm the oldest in the house. Some of you know what it's like to have a father leave or a mother leave. Some of you know what it's like to come from brokenness. My Grandpa cheated on my mom with a different woman. My dad cheated on my mom with a different woman. I went from seeing my dad open his Bible to now years later walking into his room, seeing him roll drugs and trying to cover up drugs. I woke up in the middle of the night to hear my mom cry herself to sleep, hearing altercations happen in the living room. At a young age, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? Who am I supposed to believe? The very man that introduced me to Jesus has now walked out on our family's life. And by the way, I still honor my dad. Even though my dad walked out on us, I can say this with all my heart. I honor him. Year after that, my younger sister gets diagnosed with stage four cancer. She's eight years old. The doctors say she has a 20% chance left to live. Tumors in all over her lungs and her leg. My dad walks out of my family. Now I'm about to lose my younger sister. I lost my dad in a motorcycle accident some years later. I've walked different places. I've been different places. I've seen death. I've been offered different things. But it's by the grace of God that he's called me out, put father figures in my life, put the right authorities in my life, by his grace, by his spirit poured out in my life. Now I have a passion to go all around the world to preach the gospel, the same prayer that Billy Graham prayed. God, help me become whoever you want me to become, and God, help me to go wherever you want me to go. Billy Graham associated his ministry with being really close to the who. Not the what, the where, the why, and the when. Really close with the who. God can take your brokenness, your jacked up past, your messed up hurt, and he can turn it into something beautiful, give you a message for somebody else that needs to hear it. 
He desires to do it inside of every single one of you. Every time I look at Jesus, I see redemption. Every time I look at Jesus, I see the cross. And the more you know Jesus, he'll say this, stay in your lane, son. Stay in your lane, daughter. Keep seeking me. Stay humble, son. Stay humble, daughter. And don't you ever stop saying, look at God. Look at how awesome he is. The very house that I grew up in. By the way, it's 11.50. If you need to go, you can go. The very house I grew up in. The very living room where my dad sat me down and left our family. The very living room where my dad was arrested. The very living room where I saw altercations between my dad and mom. The very living room where all these things were taking place. Two years ago was the very house that my wife and I purchased. And now every day in that living room, that is where I pray and seek God. That's where I open my Bible and declare how good God is. And keep saying, family, look at God. Look at how awesome he is. That's where I pray and I pace. I pray and I pace back and forth. And every now and then, my daughter, my two-year-old daughter, I'll turn around and she's following me as I pray and as I pace. I'll pray in the spirit in my living room. And my daughter will pray in the spirit. It sounds like that, 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 that. She doesn't know what she's saying. But ever since she was in the womb, I pray that she'd be baptized in the spirit. I'm staring at a bunch of students and leaders in this room that God has marked out, ordained things for you to step in. But it will be those who stay in their lane, who stay humble, who keep saying, look at God, and make their life all about the who. Keep making it about him. Keep drawing near to him. Humans will hurt you. Humans will mess up. Leaders will fail. Jesus will never abandon, fail, hurt, cause division. Rather than taking your eyes and putting it on man, put them on Jesus, the who. Let him heal you. Let him refresh you. Let him restore you. This is a beautiful place to grow and be refined. And a thought that freed me, I want to leave this last thought with you is God cares way more about who you are becoming than what you can do for him. In a culture that's obsessed with doing, don't ever forget that God values your becoming. Are you willing for 30 years to never be noticed or never handed a microphone until you start your ministry? Are you willing to stay in the dark when no one else sees you but God's refining you? Instead of being quick to get out, be quick to remain. Instead of being quick to make a difference, be quick to be still. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you, craft you, heal you, mend you. If everyone could bow their heads, close their eyes. The altar is going to be open if you want to stay and just be, spend some time with the who. But I want to pray a closing prayer over every single student here. Jesus, I thank you for this university where these students have been called here for such a time as this to learn, to study, to grow, but more than that, be refined into the person of God that you're calling them to become. And I pray for every student in here, God, that you've led to this place for such a time as this. God, that you would breathe your breath, your spirit upon them. God, that you would renew a right spirit within them. As Daniel had an excellent spirit, I pray an excellent spirit. God, I pray every student would stay in their lane. I pray they'd stay humble. God, I pray you would do things inside of them you have always wanted to do. And then, God, may this be a university that constantly says, look at God. Look at how awesome he is. Look at how faithful he's been.
And then God, I pray for those in here who are weary, tired, hurt, anxious, filled with moments for the future that you haven't called them to think on, but just to be in the present with you. God, I pray you'd quicken their minds to be still, to know how great and awesome you are. We thank you, Lord, for every life that's in this place and the destiny and purpose and the becoming that's within each one of them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The altar is open if you want to come, respond, however you feel that. God bless.